0: As it has already been indicated, my names are Saidi Francis Chishimba. Now my daughters love this part every time I introduce my name. So whenever they come along, they'll be seated in a corner, and after I say my name, they will follow suit. And so I would say something like this: My name is Saidi Francis Chishimba, Jr. Jr. Junior. Simply means the third day. Okay. Um, I am married to one wife. (laughs) (laughs) You expected more than one. And um, Sorry, I'm just turning on the recorder. Okay, I'm not taking an SMS. Oh. I I have been in ministry for, or rather, I have been married for the last seventeen, going eighteen years. My wife and I got married in 2001, and uh, the Lord has blessed us with three girls. Uh, The first one is 16 years old, the second is 13, and the third is seven. And um, my wife and I decided to go into full-time ministry when the Lord indicated the call to me. And we talked about it. We only decided to go into full-time ministry in 2001. So I have been a pastor for the last 17 years. We got married in September. And in October, it was very clear that the Lord had called me to full-time ministry. So I resigned my job in town. And uh, we had talked about it with my wife. We were praying. And by 1st December, I was no longer working in town. I was now part of Faith Baptist Church in Kitwe. I was a young man. I was only 27, turning 28. My wife was 25, turning 26. I became the youth pastor of Faith Baptist Church that early, and I was there for as a youth pastor for a good six years. And then uh, two to three years after, I was the assistant pastor, which made it eight years. And then after that, I became the pastor of Faith Baptist Church in Kitwe. And I was the pastor there for seven years. So for 15 years, I was pastoring at Faith Baptist Church in Kitwe. And then in 2016, 15, I resigned as the pastor because I believed God. ...had done all that he had called me to do at Faith Baptist. And uh, I left Faith Baptist to let another take over as pastor. And we moved into Lusaka with my family, trusting the Lord, asking the Lord what he wanted us to do while in Lusaka. And then later on it was very clear that he wanted me to pastor Evangel Baptist Church, where I am now the pastor... Uh, Just two weekends ago, I clocked two years as the pastor of Evangel Baptist Church. So that's my little history. Uh, Nothing big to look up to or to wonder. And then on top of that, uh, one of my passions, which the Lord has always impressed upon my heart, is ministry to the youths. I have always said my heart is as youth, youthful as any youth who's younger. I've always loved youths, I've always ministered to youths, and I've always tried to be as young as I can so that I can still minister to the young people. Last month I clocked 45 years old, okay? Okay, so I'm that old, okay? So I... But I love the youths and I want to be around the youths and want to serve the Lord among and with the youths. I've always said that I have done and completed my youth syllabus. Uh, If there is one person who has done all that a youth can do, uh, I am one of those. I did every sport available. I took advantage of every opportunity that was made available to me in the church, in the family, at school, in uh, society. And uh, I rejoice and thank the Lord that I know so much about a youth life uh, that I have found it a privilege that the Lord would make me be used in the life of the young people. Apart from ministry to the youths, I love running i run a lot so this morning i woke up and did about six kilometers just to wake up my lungs that i can come and speak with you and i came some of you are mm, you are sleeping i guess okay so i i enjoy running so i run a lot i love playing chess so if anybody has come with a chess board i'm looking forward to give you two zero and we can do that at break time. And, uh, so I, I really enjoy running. It's become one of my passions lately. So last Saturday we took off with some friends for 3 hours and 20 minutes and just did a nice 30 kilometers in a certain area in Lusaka just to get our bodies straightened. It's a good thing to do. Alright, so you have known quite a lot about me. I hope in our break time, as we will mingle, you will give me an opportunity to also know each one of you if I will manage. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of First John. First John chapter 2. First John and chapter 2. Well, when I was being invited, I was told that one of the areas I need to really focus on, which is, I'm assuming, part of the theme of this uh, gathering, is the rekindling of love. It is basically returning to the first love. And the question that one asks is, if I am being invited to return to the first love, the question is, where am I right now? And the follow-up question is, where was I where I'm being told to go back to? And the follow-up question is, how did I leave that place of the first love and took on a journey to go to where I am today. And so these three questions mark the three things that I would like to talk about in the three sessions that we will have this morning. And so this morning I will begin by looking at where I am right now. Loving the world. And then in the, after, uh, in the second session we'll look at the first love, where I was. I am invited or I am asked to remember where I was, where I have fallen from. And then lastly, we will look at the journey from the first love to the current state and what I'm expected to do with that is to return. And so uh, Revelation says, repent and do the first work, meaning Turn around and go back to the first love. But let's begin with where we are this morning. And this morning, I would like to suggest to you that as young people, we and majority, those who are not walking right with God, or are not even children of God, are actually in the world. Are actually in the world. And the Bible says. In 1 John chapter 2. And verse 15. Do not love the world. Or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world. The love of the Father is not in him. Let's pray. Our sovereign God. Who art in heaven. We do thank you for your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, whom you gave unto us as our Redeemer, who did mount that cruel cross to die for us, that he may purchase us and make us your children. Thank you for the privilege that is not ours, yet extended to us through your son. Now, Father, we pray, as you have gathered us together from various local churches and from various towns. I noticed the bus outside there Lord suggesting that others have come from as far as Kitwe. Our prayer Lord is that our moment together may cause our hearts to be elated unto you. That you may draw us Lord to know you and to revisit our walk and relationship with you for those who are already children of God Lord that you may spur us to return to the first works and do those things that we once knew about Christ. And Lord, for those who have no idea who you are, have thought to be children of God and yet they are far away from you, our prayer, Lord, this morning is that you would turn their hearts and cause them to call upon you for their own salvation. Our God, I pray that you would do the work of grace upon the listener and the preacher alike. May we honor you in our today's event and beginning with this session, in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, the scripture that we have just read is here written to us by the Apostle John. And the Apostle John, in the first phrase of that sentence in verse 15, simply says, Do not love the world do not love the world. That little phrase has an implied thought, and that implied thought is, we are currently loving the world. There are two aspects to this little phrase, and that is, number one, it would be a warning to those who are not yet loving the world, who have not gone into the world, and perhaps they are watching the world from a distance, and perhaps they are even contemplating, uh, thinking about they going to love the world. And that phrase would be a warning. It would be a billboard. It would be a caution on the fence of the world, facing you who's not yet in the world, and says, don't love the world, suggesting that don't go into the world and be part of it. At the same time, that little phrase can also be a statement for those who are already in the world, and they have made themselves jump over the fence, and that jumping over the fence may have been born out of rebellion, out of backsliding, out of uh, seeking a better place to go to, out of being born in that very place, and they've never known anything else better except the world. And so their lives has been tormented and has been made to feel the pain and the sorrows and the horrors of the world. And so they are wondering what they are doing in that place. And they turn around and look at the hedge or the fencing around the world, and there is a little placard around it, and it also says... Don't love the world. It can suggest to one who is outside not to go to the world and remain where you are with the Lord. But it also can suggest that for those who are inside, it is telling them how horrible the world is, but it does not point to a better place to run to. And John uses this little phrase, towards those who are believers because the first book of John is actually writing to children of God. He's writing to those who are already having a relationship with Jesus. He is reminding them that they have come into the place of love. They have come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. When we go to the first chapter and through to the end of the book of First John, we begin to learn that the book of John is a book of love. He is primarily talking to those who have known Christ, who are children of God, and he's helping them to have the assurance that they they ought to have in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And he's helping them to understand how to stay in the love of God. And so because of that information about the book of John, We clearly know therefore that this little phrase, don't love the world, is is directed to those who are children of God, to those who are Christians. And that is the phrase that is here brought to us and from this phrase we extract the title of this session which is simply loving the world. That doesn't say or suggest that we should be loving the world Rather, it reminds us of where we are and what we are currently doing, loving the world. And so the question is, where am I? And before we can ever appreciate the first love, before we can ever appreciate the idea of returning, we need to find out where we are currently. Friends or young people, as I look around, I see a lot of faces. And you also look and you look more into your heart. And it is so amazing the state of our world today and how much the young people of today are, majority, far away from Christ. Even when they are in the church. Long ago in the years before, and we will talk about it in our next session, the world used to pass along the road. It would stand outside and yell to the church and the children of the church and invite them to come over. And the children of the church would be in the churchyard and would yell back and say, Daddy says, don't come, don't go there. And the world would yell back and say, Are you sure things are glorious here? Just come and join us and have a feel of it. And the children of the church would climb the wall fence and look across and see how the world looks like. And they would have certain admiration and at times they would want to jump over the fence. And just when they are doing that, they would get a spanking from the back, from the elders and the leaders and the spiritual men in the church hammering them on their backs and saying, come on, get down, you belong here, you stay here. And they would wake up and realize, yeah, 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 this is where I'm supposed to be. Loving God, reading my Bible, praying, fellowshipping, and having all these things around me. But occasionally they would again peep, and one or two would jump and go with the world. That's how it was back then. Today, all my friends, It's different. The world doesn't stand outside yelling and say, come join us. You know what? The world has given up on yelling on the church and its children to join. The world has braved itself. It's pulled its trousers and put it in order and tucked its shirt in. And put on shoes and walked into the church. And has come in the church and he sits with us in the church. And enjoys say when he doesn't really enjoy the church. And it has come into the church and has begun to suggest to the church and say, is this what you call life in here? You guys are boring. It's a waste of time. What do you think you are doing? No, 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 no. Here we are Christians. No, no, no. Here we don't do, come on. Wake up. This is the 21st century. After all, who said that it is wrong? And all of a sudden the world begins to whisper back and forth and it's within the church. And all of a sudden the church begins to nod its head and begin to agree and say, but I think you are right. You know what? I think, no, 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 no. I think they've misread the Bible. You see, we told you. You see, we told you. And all of a sudden the children of the church begin to embrace the world and say, you know what? This guy is cool. After all, he's such a great dude, eh? Then I hang around with him. And elders and parents in the church begin to say, no, 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 please don't. That is the world. The, 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 the world has come from outside and it's in the church. No, ma'am, you don't know. Look at her. What's wrong with her? And mom says, But you see, look at your skirt. No, 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 mommy. What's wrong with this skirt? After all, the world wears such skirts. After all, the world is sagging. After all, the world has law and all this kind. So, what's wrong? After all, the world's music is good. So, just listen to it a little bit. And before we know it, the world is in. And so you come to the church, you come to the youths in the church, and you say, don't love the world. And the youths look at you, lost, strange, as though everybody has been eating a lemon. And they say, what do you mean? What's the world? Who's the world? Pastor, you are from the ancient world. We in the 21st century, we are in another world. Understand us. We are more relevant than you who is now irrelevant. Well, my Bible simply says, don't love the world. And I want to make a big deal about this world. What is the world? What is the world? Well, the Bible tells us, if you will go firstly with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. If you are taking down, please take note. Number one, the world has a form. The world has a form. The world is not just a vapor out there. It is not just a certain vacuum out there that can be filled with you. No, no, no. the world has a form. And Romans chapter 12, verse 2, simply says, do not be conformed to this world. Suggesting to us with that phrase again, that the world has a form, it has a shape, it has a design, it has a makeup, it has an appearance, that we are again admonished not to conform to that shape, design, and appearance of the world. And so, firstly, this world that we are told don't love it, it has a form. It is in a certain dimension. There are certain dynamics in that particular world, that when you step in, there is the potential of you becoming like it. So he says, do not be conformed. Second, it, is, it just doesn't have a form, but it is this present evil age. Go to Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. They say that in this age, when you say, turn your Bibles, it doesn't make sense because everybody's in the thumb or finger generation so you say click Galatians 1 verse 4 look at what he says in verse 4 grace to you, verse 3 grace to you and peace from God our Father And the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from what? This present evil age. So number one, the Bible tells us that the world has a form, it has a shape, it has a design, it is made in a certain way. And in its form, if you enter it, there's a potential or ability for you to be conformed or to be like it. But the Bible goes on further to tell us how this world is. And it tells us that it is the present evil age. So, this world has a certain lifestyle. And that lifestyle we are told that this world's lifestyle is the evil age. And there is so much about this evil age. It's very vast and wide and broad, encompassing a lot of activities in both the young, the old, and the middle-aged. Thirdly, if it has a form, and it is this present age we ask the question what is the content in this world so if we say it has a form think with me it is probably this room oh well i'm just illustrating okay i'm not saying this room is the world okay it's the idea that this has a shape as a form that's the first thing the second thing. We are told that this shape and this form lives in a certain age of time. And that is the evil time. So we ask, what is inside it that makes it evil? That makes it dangerous when we conform to it? And that's the third thing. And so let's go back to the text we began with, First John. Let's look at the third element about this world or this form and this present age. He says in our text, verse 15, do not love the world, and look what he says as follow up to that, all the things were in the world, telling us it has a certain content, there's something in it. You can be shown a container and you are told, do you see that container? It's poison. Don't drink what's inside. You've been told that that container contains something. Poison. Here John tells us that the world has something in it. Go on reading with me. We will skip the next sentence, but we will read it for connecting to verse 16. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So we keep that part of the verse for later. But let's go to verse 16. He tells us what is in the world. For all that is in the world. Are you ready? The desires of the flesh, number one. The other versions will say the lust of the flesh. Number two. The desires of the eyes. Number three. The pride of life. So he tells us what is in this world. That is telling us not to love. That once upon a time was out there and now is in the church. And he says it is these three things. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eye. And the pride of life. Now, these three may sound to be very narrow at an instant thought, but again, they encompass a lot of things. What, what uh, John is saying is not simply that the lust of the flesh is just this desire for this human body flesh or the flesh, oh, I, I like a T-bone steak, so I have a desire for that flesh, and so that's what I'm being stopped not to do. No, no, no. He is actually pointing at the lifestyle in this world. <laughs> that it does not focus on anything beyond the world, but it focuses on the things that are within itself. Here is a good example Adam and Eve, there they are walking in the garden, having the best romantic moment that human being has ever experienced and will never experience. Because after them there was a fall and the Romans equally became affected. And so Adam and Eve are having a cool time and they're walking and talking and just enjoying the garden of Eden. And they would walk from one end to the other, left and right, and back and forth. But every time they did that, they would pass the center of the garden. And every time they passed the center of the garden, there were two trees. And upon seeing those trees, the first thing that came to their mind is God saved. God saved. And by that phrase, whenever it came to their mind, God said it reminded them who was in charge. The authority. The sovereign Lord. The powerful one. Almighty. That reminder dawned their hearts immediately. And so back and forth they would walk and every time they come near these trees and they would see them. And they would not say, these trees kill we are forbidden. The first thing was, God said. Until the devil walked in. And he hissed to Eve. "Your babe, what's up? <laughs> oh, I'm cool. What's up to do? Let me tell you one thing. You see these trees? Did God really say? Do you get where he starts from? And he begins to open up those emotions in heart. He begins to cook some lusts or some desire. And all of a sudden... She begins to desire this that he is whispering to her. And all of a sudden she begins to look at this fruit. And all of a sudden she has a lust of the eye. And she is beholding this fruit. And all of a sudden she begins to say, you know what? Maybe. And he begins to tell her what that fruit will do to her life. You will be. Really? Come on. You're not for real. Yo, baby, I ain't lying, <laughs> eh? And now she beholds it and she's now enjoying all the conversation. And guess what? Eventually, the lust of the flesh in her heart. Begins to fall in love with what the father of the world is explaining. And now the last of the eye glitters. Everything glitters in her eyes that she must have. And now all of a sudden so proudful about what life is going to be like. It's my life. It's my choice. And in the nick of a second. Ha! <sighs> And again, before long, half of the fruit is eaten and all of a sudden she says, you know what? This surely tastes good. I have never eaten anything like this this in this garden. Wow! Why was he hiding it from us? And the Bible says, Adam was not far away. He had not gone for a walk, he was not gardening, he was not sorting out a fight between monkeys and a hyena somewhere. He wasn't busy at all. The Bible says, and she gave her husband who was with Which means, Adam was nearby and he was also listening to the conversation, but because he didn't want to be found responsible, he chose not to intervene. And so the the serpent is talking to Eve and he's there standing and saying, Honey, uh, honey, but honey, you know, honey, some of these things, we better be careful. And meanwhile, the devil is making his way into her and telling her what to do. And finally, she hands over a piece and he grabs it. The Bible doesn't tell us whether he thought through about it, whether he said, you know what, we need to have a bedroom talk over this fruit. And uh, after we decide, hey, devil, we'll come back to you, all right? Just give us a moment. No, he didn't say all that. He put his headship in the home aside. And without thought, he went straight into the fruit and... <sighs> And the Bible doesn't say what followed after that. But this one thing we know. Because of Adam's response to God when God said, Adam, where are you? I mean, Adam was there enjoying the fruit and all of a sudden he didn't know what hit him. And he looked down and he went, oops! <laughs> <laughs> What's going on here? I <laughs> me me? Oh, How? Come on. Let's hide behind the bushes. Well, this fruit has some transforming power. (laughs) No, we are not transformed. We have been conformed. And now we are what the Lord told us to avoid. We are like those little children who were safe in the church and the world was out there and the world was screaming and they never went there. And we have listened. Guess what? We have entered the world and we have just realized that we are naked. And exactly what the serpent did to our first parents, he does that today when he hooks you and draws you into his world and he begins to make you be conformed and he be- begins to make you have the lust of the flesh and the pride of life and the lust of the eyes and all of a sudden everything becomes dazzling sights. All of a sudden, you begin to love the world. It was only last week she was your sister in the Lord. And now because you've loved the world, your eyes have changed and she's no longer my sister in the Lord. is your babe was <laughs> Just like he said to Eve, eh? you also have that language. And all of a sudden... The Bible that you once believed in that God had laid upon your heart and you desired it, you loved it, you read it you enjoyed it with all your all now all of a sudden you are part of the world and you look at the Bible and you join the atheists and all of them and you begin to say, did God really say? Oh my friend, you begin to Because what's in the world is all about the flesh, is all about the pride of life, is all about the lust of the eyes, is all about questioning God, is all about me, myself, and I. No more, no less. No one is an authority in the world except me. Well, the truth is, the devil is the authority. The devil is the authority of the world. And Jesus again and again. And the apostles. Retaliated and spoke about it. That the father of the lies. Is the father of the world. And Lord John says. Don't love the world. Don't love the world. The love of the world. By those who already belong in it. The love of the world by those who once loved Christ. But since have left Christ and have gone or gravitated to the world. Either he says don't love the world. Why? Why? I mean the world today has become so sophisticated. Long ago so, it was so far away to reach the world. But today it's Amazing. We are in the thumb generation or the finger generation, whatever you may call it, because everything is at our fingertips. Long ago, I still remember that. When I heard people talk about pornography, it was strange, and they would tell us how there are magazines that you flip, and they are showing how men and women are having sex and pictures of all the sexuality going on. I couldn't imagine that people would go and pause to take such pictures. Then eventually my uncle came with a pornography magazine. He was the looked-for man in the community because everybody heard that at that house there is Uncle Chile, who has a magazine, a pornography magazine. And everybody was trekking, coming over, to come and try and see the world of pornography in that magazine. And my uncle was a show-off. You know, as we have the real thing. <laughs> in the foolishness and sinfulness of man, he was showing off that he has the real thing. And everybody was pleading to see Today, it's a finger away. That's how close the world has come. Back then, it was out in the world, and it was screaming at an uncle's home, and saying, hey, come over, both saints and sinners, come and see it, I have the magazine. And Christians were trying to make an effort to go there. And others, perhaps, I don't know, maybe they went there in the name of evangelism. And maybe they got there and tried to try and explain to him how sinful it is. Bring it here, we show you how sinful it is. Maybe they did that, I don't know. But listen, the world was far away. Today, are you with me? It has crossed the fence. And it's not standing in the driveway, it's inside. It's only a finger away. And some sites, you don't even need to go there. You know what pornography is doing now? Somebody wrote and said, I am doing all I can to make sure that my son and daughter, they never, ever see a pornographic material. And the pastor replied and said, My dear friend, if your son and daughter doesn't get pornography, pornography will get her. And that's true. It's getting one after the other from that end to that end. It's in here. It's on your fingers away. And that's how much the world has made itself near us. Do you know what John says? Don't love the world. Don't love the world, young man. And now today people are interpreting love by such materials. And now there are all kinds of levels of this sensuality and sexuality and pornographic material. And it's all over the place. In various ways. Some of you spend your time watching with your dad and mom. Seated looking at the same TV. And without a sheer knowledge that you are watching pornographic material. It won't always be nude people. It will also be in the language. And there you are seated watching. What are some of these soap operas you love watching from Mexico? Hello? Just tell me, I won't say it's you. I'll just say that you are well informed. Telemundo. Telemundo, what does it teach? I mean, there is all these stories about how this one was a girlfriend of the uncle, now was a girlfriend of the father, and was a girlfriend of the cousin, and was a girlfriend of the the, the neighbor, and now is a girlfriend of the grandfather, and now is my girlfriend, and that's all. And there we are. And that's what we are watching. And somehow we are enjoying it. And guess what? Youths are seated with their mother and father. Friends, that's how far the world has entered into our homes and our lives. And the mother baby in the kitchen. And she's cooking. And she hears you in the sitting. Oh, where? Why? <laughs> Why? You are even giving feedback back and forth between daughter and mother on how this program has such sinfulness and yet you are so curious enjoying it lasting after it. You know what? Don't be surprised my friend that when you go out there and that's how you behave to boys and that's how you behave to girls and you bring it in the church and you are telling that one who's your sister and your brother and now you have an isidingo spiritual mentality and that's how you are thinking don't tell me it's out there it's in the church And a brother and a sister wants to begin a holy, righteous relationship with you with an intention to marriage. Hmm, he's got no swag. Where did you read the swag in the Bible? No, but I thought Solomon had swag. No, my friend. It has nothing to do with Solomon. It has everything to do with the world in the church. Do you know what John simply says? Don't love the world. Or the things in the world. It doesn't take you to go out of the house to go and see the world. It just takes you to be in the house and the world will come to you and the world today is following you not only in the sitting room not only in the kitchen but even in the bedroom and some of you even in the toilets when you go to the toilet the phone doesn't even remain behind you are so captivated to watch the world and reply to the world and the world is doing all it can do to make every single coin from you So listen my friends John says don't love the world why three quick things and I will come to an end Number 1 go back to first John go back to first John chapter 2 I want you to observe verse 17 Here's the reason why John is saying, Don't love the world. Number one, it's a temporal world. It's a temporal world. Verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires. It's a temporal world. There's nothing about the world to glory about, it's temporal. It appears today and tomorrow it's gone. Either you go first. Or at the end of the age when the Lord returns. It is gone. To face judgment. And he says it is for a season. Secondly. The love of the world friends. The world takes you further and further away from God. There is no one single person in history beginning with Adam. Whoever loved the world and came back and said when I loved the world it pointed me to God. No. The world takes you further. Here's a good example. A lot of us love drinking mineral water, right? We can bring a container of mineral water right here. Let's say we say it's 2,000 liters. And all of us are drawing water from it and just enjoying it. And then we go to the toilet. You know that can nozzle drop? You know the nozzle drop? That little thing, they suck medicine and drop it in your nose or in your ears. That little instrument. And we go and put it in the toilet. Now, that toilet has been washed by Jik, by hapic, by everything that bleaches the toilet. And it's sparkling clean. But we still get that instrument and just suck a little drop of water from the toilet. And come to the 2,000 liters and drop it there. And then I say, you know what? This water is pure. As clean as clean can be. However, we dropped just a minute drop of water in it. And you say, oh yeah, sure, sure, nothing wrong. No, I haven't finished. The water was from the toilet. And I can assure assure you, if all of you had the cups in your hands right now, they would be flying in the air. (laughs) How could you do this to us? You made us drink toilet water. It's so contaminated. What's my point? Just that little stain. Did it in a way say, wow, then this water is really pure. Did it gravitate you to the container? Oh, and for the next number of years, you will always talk about it. It will make you hate drinking public water that you don't know how it was prepared. It will throw you far and far and far away from water of such a nature. And some of you, because of your nature, even when you're walking, you see a container on top. <laughs> Maybe it's the same. You, you become so afraid of every container of water just because of that experience. My point is this. Listen. One drop of the world in the church will not make you gravitate to God. It will never make the world admire the church. It will always say, What? What? Even them, we're just the same. No, in that church, thousands of them sing in the choir. But you know what? They all go on such sites. They also receive such videos. They also have such a language. They also watch Telemundo. We are just the same. So don't tell me about God. You see what the world will always take you further away from God. Number three. The world conforms you to itself. Stop reading your Bible if you are a Christian. Stop praying. Stop going to church. Stop every other thing that is termed as a means of grace meaning the way in which God ministers to your heart with His grace and causes you to grow in the Christian faith. Stop everything. The very moment you stop everything, guess what? You start becoming like the world. All of a sudden we will meet you in the street, even your walk has changed. You now walk like the world. You now talk like the world. You now have the so-called swag like the world. The world conforms you to itself. And that's why we are told in Romans, do not be conformed to the world. Do not love the world. Do not be like the world. And fourthly, God knows what is good for you. And he has commanded you to stay away from the world. He says in James chapter 1:27 that don't let the world stain you. Don't be spotted by the world. As the world is splashing all over, don't let any splash of the world drop on you that you begin to fight to try and clean yourself. Keep yourself as far away as possible. John says, don't love world. Well, I want to end by drawing your attention to one important story that is in the Bible. The Bible tells us there was a saint, a judge, a lover of God, anointed and appointed by God to carry out God's major work in redeeming or serving his people. His name was Samson. Samson was a man of great talent and ability. Samson was a strong and mighty man. A mighty valor of God. Samson was born and was set apart as a Nazarite. Meaning there were certain things that were not to be brought near him. Because he was set apart to carry out God's work. He was not to drink wine. He was not to cut his hair. He was not to touch anything that has died. Or a dead carcass. He was not to be found in a certain immoral lifestyle. But you know what? Listen young man, young woman. Samson loved the world. All of a sudden, Samson loved sleeping around. Well, my friend, it's not exciting. You may be the next Samson. Careful. Well, Samson loved sitting, sleeping around. In fact, the Bible tells us that Samson would go into a city a fortified city, and sleep with women in that, in that place. They lock him up that they will kill him, and he would come out, lift the gate of the city, and go set it on a mountain and go back home to sleep. Well, Samson loved the world. His mother and father tried to tell him not to go a certain direction, not even to go and marry women from that side, because God says you are not supposed to do this. You are a judge. You are a prophet of God set for God's word. No, Samson loved the world. And he plunged himself deep in the world. It didn't take the world, it didn't take him. Rather, he didn't take the world to go and find him. He went and found the world. He plucked it out from where it was. He kissed it. He embraced it. He held it tight in his bosom. And he felt that this is it. He forgot who was in authority and that was God. Oh, how Samson devoured the pleasures of the world. From the corner of his eyes, there came a woman, dangling and sashaying, walking, perhaps with the structure of Beyonce. And she drew near. And guess what? Samson said, let up. She said, I am Delilah. And Delilah was that tiny, beautiful, gracious in appearance of the woman, yet as subtle as a fishing hook, as subtle and sharp as your knife in the home. Oh, how Delilah smoothly made her way into Samson's life. And how Samson felt he had now gotten the best of the world, Miss Universe. And before Samson knew it, Delilah, the fish hook, pierced his heart. Samson's heart began to bleed. Samson now revealed God's secret to a daughter of the world. Samson sold his nation, God's nation, to the world. The evils of the world rejoiced, embraced Samson, kissed him like he did before, but they didn't end there. They spunk him hard. They pierced and gulfed or gouged out his eyes. They turned him into an animal. They tied his hand against a meal. And as the cows were pushing. And as the horses were pushing. So was Samson pushing. Like one of them. And for the next number of years. Of Samson's life. The world had dealt with him. Hard. And Samson cried. And cried. And cried. Plead and pled, And the world rejoiced over his destroyed life. Listen, my friend. As the world did to Samson, you go ahead and love the world, my friend. You go ahead and love that pornography on your phone. You go ahead and slip around. You go ahead and enjoy the pleasures of the world and entertain your heart with whatsoever music the world can give you. Listen, my friend, the world will sooner than later pierce you in the likeness of Samson. You will fall on your knees. You will be diseased. You will cry. You will mourn. And the world will chant earthly celebrations. John says don't love the world the last we hear of Samson was him between two pillars in the Philistines living one kind of a stadium and standing to those two pillars not with joy by the way The Sunday school Bible stories end it wrongly. They make us see as though it ended Samson standing akimbo rejoicing as he dies that he has No, Samson was bowed down. Samson had been in tears for a long time. Samson was now praying the prayer that he never ever thought he should ever pray. It was a prayer of repentance. And Samson was holding those pillars. And he was saying, Lord, one more time. Just one more time. Save me and my people. One more time. That was the prayer of Samson. That's all he prayed. His body bruised, scarred, dirty, no eyes. That was all he prayed. Oh God was gracious. He heard Samson. He came down. And Samson broke that building down. And everybody died. Guess what? Including Samson. I don't know how Samson entered heaven. But he beheld his savior. I guess he said so. I listened to the world. And I loved the world. And God still said, you're my child. I love you. And my point is this. John simply says, young man, don't love the world. Amen. Well, let's pray too. sense in which we love the world. How guilty, young and old we are. But I pray cement these, your words upon the hearts of these young people not to love the world. We are loving the world I've never before in this age. Forgive us.